Hey, Paige. What you doing? Subscribing to Bark Box. Oh, is that the one where the puppers get a monthly box full of toys and treats? Also, doesn't charge you more for having a bigger dog so that each pup gets the size of treats and toys that they need? Yeah, that's the one, Sam. And did you know that if you use our link, BarkBox.com forward slash M3 True Crime Pod, you'll get a whole ass month free. Let us help you spoil the shit out of your puppers. Hi, I'm Courtney. And I'm Patrick. And this is our True Crime Podcast. Evil Pudding. We are a husband and wife duo. I'm ex-military and law enforcement. And I'm a true crime professional fanatic. And we will, together <laughs> will cover the most depraved and most shocking offenders and events that you probably have ever heard of. That's right. Only the most evil are covered here. So join us once a week. As we serve up some evil pudding. Hey, Paige. Hey, Sam. What you doing? Not trying to fit a brush in my dick. <laughs> or am I? <laughs> and that is a good question. Um, but we're gonna skip right past that. And what else are we doing? Recording a podcast. What's that podcast name? M Cubed Murder Mystery Mayhem. Motherfucker. So the ad you heard at the beginning. Well, the podcast ad, not the Bark Box. Man. That was from Evil Puddin. Aren't people at the Puddin' Pod? Courtney and Patrick. <laughs> I fucking love them. Yeah, they are amazing. And actually, Courtney's normally the one who, you know, tells the story and Pat gives his commentary, which is amazing. But Pat just came out with his own episode. Yeah, he did. I'm so excited to listen to it after this. Yes, I can't wait. It's gonna be so good. Mm-hmm. So good. I hope Courtney, um... <laughs> does just as much commentary as Pat does. I hope so. Mm-hmm. But I 1000% guarantee that she's going to feel as awkward as I do after like a long stint of telling you stories and then not knowing what the fuck to do with myself. <laughs> 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 so if that's the case, Courtney, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, but they're awesome. And you should listen to them. And go follow their Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Because it's lit. It's lit! <laughs> Did you know, Paige, that we launched Patreon on August 1st? Not the 7th? Not the 6th. <laughs> the 1st. <first. laughs> the 1st. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so there is currently, uh, it's currently open. And there are two tiers. And both tiers will get more of our dumbassery because... <laughs> I mean, if you listen to us for any other reason, I don't know why. <laughs> if if that's the case, please tell me, because I want to know. Uh, but anyway, they'll get at least one bonus episode a month. There will be no ads in our episodes. And they'll get priority case suggestions. Then the $4 tier will get quarterly stickers or random merch that we get, because... Apparently, we can't stop buying things from Sticker Mule. Yeah. We are not sponsored, but, you know, Sticker Mule, if you're listening. Um, but those, those fucking stickers are, are amazing, though. <laughs> and the buttons. The buttons that we got. I'm so excited. Anyway, I'll be sending out the 
stickers quarterly. So like in August, November, February, and May. And I think I'm going to do that in the middle or end of... Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So come on over and enjoy our fuckery. Yeah. Got anything else, else to add, Paige? Mm-mm. No? What randomness do we have today? Because I really do want to avoid this fucking case, even though this is the last episode of Willie Picton's bullshit fuckery. Thank God. I agree. I had this horrible nightmare last night that somebody was chasing me with the damn circular soul and was cutting my arms and my face. So, yeah, I'm over fucking Willie Picton. Over it. This is it. It's the end. Well, I say this is the end. This is the end for that ass hat. Right. From moving forward, we're going to pick a few women, like a spotlight on five or six of the women that he murdered, and possibly the rest of the ones that are on that list uh, of missing women in general, just yeah. just because he claims that he had murdered 49 women, but I don't think that's accurate. I think he had already hit his 50 mark and gone on to the other 25. But that's just my opinion. Anyway. So we'll do little mini-sodes. We'll do mini-sodes. I don't know what the scheduling will be just yet, mm-hmm. but we'll figure that out. And we're going to highlight five or six of the women. and In each episode, right? In each episode, yes. And that way we have their names, their faces, and their story told. Because they were so much more than what the media and... The Vancouver Police Department saw them as. They were not just sex workers. They were not just addicts. They were mothers. They were daughters. They were sisters. There's so much fucking more. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I will say that there will be probably at least one per episode where we don't have a lot of information about other than her face and name. Mm-hmm. And I think there's at least three Jane Does that we don't even have a name for. So there's, there's that. But yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to release those uh, randomly and it's just going to be bonus content because we want to put more focus on these beautiful souls that were lost because mm-hmm. they deserve it. Sorry. I just kind of went on a side tangent there. <laughs> so anything fun this, this week or random or I really want to stall for a little bit longer. <laughs> So, um, I got some dental work done recently and like super recently, like, like my mouth still hurts. So that's why I'm not as vocal today, but the dental assistant is very new apparently because when the dentist was working in my mouth, she kept sucking up my lips. (laughs) It was the most ridiculous thing. I was like, lady, what the fuck? You, she just wanted to help you out. Instead of having, like, any odd thing injected into your lips, she was just going to help you pump it out <laughs> naturally. Yeah. I don't know that that was natural. <laughs> Good God. Uh, yeah. I'm surprised I didn't have a bunch of hickeys all over my damn we just lips. Just bring out the frozen spoon. That's all. <laughs> Listen, so did you know that you could... Absolutely, 1,000% get pistol whipped by a fucking Nerf gun and have a black eye. Because my three-year-old currently has a black eye from his brother pistol whipping with the Nerf gun. (laughs) 
I left my mom. I left my kids at my mom's house for like an hour and a half on Friday, and mm-hmm. I went back to see them. And he comes up to me. I'm like, "What the hell is wrong with your eye?" And mom goes, "He got hit in the eye." And then I was like, "Uh, what did he get hit in the eye with?" So I looked at at the little one, and I'm like, "Hey, what what happened to your eye?" He goes, "Zane hit me with a gun." <laughs> <laughs> like, great. My three-year-old got pistol whipped by a Nerf gun. <laughs> so that's fun. That's that's my ridiculousness that is uh, constantly occurring. All right, Sam. Recap us. I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> no. Okay, so do yourself a favor and us, really. So do us both a favor and go listen to part one through four. Yes, I do realize they're about two hours a piece. Some of them are a little bit shorter, but there's so much fucking information. Part one through three had their full T-Rex moments of the statements that were made by the people that were closest to Picton, the tiny dick man himself, you know, Willie. But the most frustrating part in those are listening to the fact that the Vancouver Police Department absolutely 1,000% knew something shady was going on with the amount of women that were missing and did absolutely nothing about it. They allowed Willie to kill at least 49 women. Those That's, that's the number that he confesses to. But not only the 49 women that he confesses to, but the assault of so many more because... They were afraid to come forward. The one person that did come forward, and that was because she was literally bleeding and her guts were coming out, she had to flag down somebody to take her to the hospital. He was slapped on the wrist for this because she was afraid to testify. And honestly, it wasn't the whole of Vancouver Police Department. It was the higher-ups, the ones that were in charge that can make all the decisions of whether they have uh, enough proof or whatever that they should follow Willie. Or the ones that were like, hey, you know what? You guys have been following Willie for a while. And, the, the you know, the number of missing women completely cut down to like one a year. I think we're good. I think that guy moved on. And then completely disbanded the fucking Project Amelia. Because, you know, there wasn't a serial killer. It, I mean, Project Amelia wasn't doing shit anyway, so... Some of them were. Yeah, but they're... They had so much shit going on because they... It wasn't that they were on Project Amelia and that was it. If yeah. they if they had... If they had the resources where they could have focused solely on the missing women, then things could have probably moved forward. But because those tiny dick men that were higher up were like, no, 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 no. This isn't very important because these women are less than us. They are less dead. (sighs) Anger. I am so fucking angry. But anyway, so in part four, we move on to take a deep dive into the searches and the things that were found after a search warrant was obtained, but not for the missing women, but because of an illegal firearms charge. Once they start searching for the firearms, they find so much more. We listen to some of the interrogation, the cell plant, which <laughs> I I don't even know. I like, mm, that conversation was special. But by September of 2002, he was facing 11 first degree murder charges. And those were for 
Serena Abbotsway, Mona Wilson, and Jacqueline McDonnell, Heather Bottomley, Diana Rock, Andrea Josbury, Brenda Wolf, Jennifer Firminger, or Firminger, Helen Hallmark, Patricia Johnson, and Georgina Pappen. Did I miss anything? No. Cool. You did good. Sweet. And I apologize if I go on to these little, like, random little angry tangents as I go. Because they're going to fucking happen. Because the fuckery does not stop. <sighs> so you ready? No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm ready for this to be over. Sweet, let's get into it. Oh, again, I'm sorry. Not that you're not doing an awesome job, because you are. But that's the reason why I'm over it, because you're doing such a good job that it's giving me nightmares. So. Same. Okay, so to bring you back, you know, they were... We have a shit, uh, a shit ton of people. <laughs> a shit ton of people working on the farm on new tips that are being brought in and babysitting the witnesses. So there were people that were literally sorting through shit and dirt on a farm, putting it into these big ass machines and having it sifted. So like the bigger objects are stayed up top and the smaller objects slowly go down to a conveyor belt where... There's a bunch of university students lined up on either side getting super seasick because of the motion <laughs> and having to pick out anything that would be of importance. So it could be something as small as a tooth or a tiny chip of bone and they were to pull that off and take it to another tent and then they would go from there. It's just, I can't imagine being that person because those shifts were at least 12 hours a day mm -hmm. staring at the motion of the fucking conveyor belt trying to pick out anything important yeah. then the ones that were on the new tips were following up with anything and everything that was called in and then the ones babysitting the witnesses had a hell of a job because our main witnesses were lynn ellingson because she saw him butchering a woman scott chubb he was the reason for the original warrant for the weapons charge. Right. He's a snitch. Yeah. Friendly neighborhood snitch. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's Andy Bellwood. He is the one that Willie got way too comfortable with to tell him exactly what he does with these women. Yeah. Every time that you say Andy Bellwood, uh -huh. have you ever seen True Blood? Uh, I saw one episode and that was with the glowing vagina. <laughs> cop there and his name is Andy Belfer so every time you say that I think of like that Andy just pops into my mind and I wonder if that's what he looks like I don't know I can show you a picture later though I'm gonna die if that's what he looks like we'll see okay <laughs> so there th when they were babysitting witnesses they were there to keep them sober because if they're sober then that's less holes for the defense to poke if they are ready to testify and they are clean and sober and everything is going fairly okay in their lives, then they should be good, right? Yeah. That was the plan anyway. Lynn Ellingson was a hell of a witness to have to try to babysit because she, like, she went from being, like, this really sweet, very, um, compliant person to being angry and just, like, I think the withdrawals hit her very hard, but she had been an addict for like 10 plus years yeah i just need you to imagine the work that they put in at this point 
because the ones that were working front lines with everything, they were doing the damn thing. They tried their damnedest to make sure that they could get a conviction. Okay, so these people were doing the damn thing and trying to make sure that they were going to get the conviction of the first degree murders for these 11 women. Because that's what they had when they started off with the original indictment. Well, technically, they started off with two. And then they added, nine more added to it. And that is not very common in a case for murder. Essentially, you bring an indictment, you charge the person, you go through the preliminary, and then the trial, if there's enough evidence to to go to trial, and then you go on from there. But with this, at any moment, they could just add more people to this list. Because every day they were getting new evidence, they were getting new DNA results, they were getting new bones, they were doing... They were doing the damn thing. Well, on October 2nd, 2002, the police announced that they were adding four more counts of first-degree murder against Willie. For those four, it's Heather Chinock. She was 31 years old. They found Heather's ring in the same pig pen where Georgina Pappin's hand bones were found. Also, her da- her Diane and I. Fuck that. Her DNA was found on a detergent bucket in the workshop or garage area. She disappeared in 2001. Then there was Tanya Hollock, who was 21. Her DNA was found in the the workshop slash garage area, and she disappeared in 1996. There was Sherry Irving. She was 23 years old. Her DNA was found in a freezer in the workshop slash garage and she was and she disappeared in 1997. Then there was Inga Hall. Her DNA was found in a freezer in the workshop slash garage in a package of ground meat. I hate him so fucking much. What the fuck? She was one of I think five women, four or five women that were that had DNA found in the meat that was in his fucking freezer. So around the time that they start bringing in these extra charges, Willie's attorney's like, "Hey, unless I get more money to help offset some of the charge, some of the expenses that we're gonna have, because this is gonna be a long ass process, I'm not gonna be able to be his attorney." So he somehow struck a deal with the judicial system. I'm not entirely sure how it works here, but here in the states, like if there is a murder charge or something like that if you do not have the finances then you should be then you can get an appointed an attorney however Picton had a shit ton of money mm-hmm. not only Picton but his brother and his sister also had a shit ton of money so i'm not entirely sure why they had why they did this in this way but whatever the deal was and it is still undisclosed to this point of how much money they agreed upon so he could grow his team to help deal with the amount of evidence that they were going to get because they had over 200,000 DNA samples. This was in October of 2002. So they had been searching from February to October. Could you imagine being Picton's lawyer though? No, that would fucking suck so much. Yeah. Yeah. No. So one of the, one of the things that he tried to, to point out was like his family would start getting threats from the public because of him doing his job essentially not don't get me wrong defense attorneys holy shit if they do their job well and they let terrible people go like that's that 
So it's hard to be like, damn, they did a good job. Because if they did a good job, then the person is let loose. Yeah. Or has a smaller sentence. But, like, the ones that are that are really good, they do the damn thing. They, they do their research. They do everything. And that's what his attorney was planning on doing. They added four or five more people to hit the defense team. Very, very intelligent people. The prosecution was also doing the same. They added a few more people to hit their team, too. And I know I, I kind of pointed this out earlier. So there's, like, the preliminary stages of the charges. And so what they're going to have to do is the prosecution has to build a case and present their evidence to the judge without a jury and lay out the evidence and be like, this motherfucker killed these 15 people. Mm-hmm. So he should be held accountable and brought to trial over these 15 people. And so that's what they have to do. So this, they took a good year to do this. But as they were going through that preliminary stages, more and more evidence was coming up. So they were, <laughs> they were the most organized motherfuckers I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> They'd have binders. And whenever you have a case like this, the, um, defense, te- the defense team will always ask for discovery. They want to know what you have up your sleeve. So, you have to turn over that evidence. Anything that you are planning on using in trial, you have to turn that evidence over. The statements that the witnesses made, everything. So, that's what they did. But there was so much. There were, like, 36 binders or some shit by the time they were done. And I'm not talking, like, you know, those tiny little half-inch binders. I'm talking about the fucking massive ones. Yeah. (laughs) While they were doing their legalese, trying to make sure that everything was taken care of, Dave and Linda were talking to the press. And I honestly debated on putting this in here because it's the, it's the one thing that makes me dislike Willie's sister. The one thing. And I honestly, I do not think that she had anything to do with them other than the business aspect of selling the bits of the farm. I, I don't think she had any interest in being anywhere near them because she was... Like, she was on a different socioeconomical level than them. Like, she presented herself in a much different way. She took a bath. Or a shower. <laughs> she showered more than once a month. <sighs> so, Dave was up in arms and talking to the press about how it was ridiculous that Willie was being targeted. Because he couldn't have done this. He just couldn't have. He's just not smart enough. Oh, I'm just not sure. <laughs> And she says uh, the opposite. She says, and I quote from the book, by the way, it's ridiculous to say he's not guilty. So then she went on to justify Dave's belief that Willie was innocent and saying, just like my dad, Robert, didn't want my dad mad at him. Rob was always lazy and had never worked a day in his life. Maybe if he had worked a real job, he wouldn't have done this. If Rob had any conscience at all, he would plead guilty and get it over with. But then she got upset when she realized that Dave was talking so much to the media and said, Dave talks too much. I've suffered enough. I'm a victim. My family has been victimized. Dave has been hurt and his family has been victimized as well. Could she not have used any other word? Any other fucking word? It made me so angry reading this because, sure, I am one... 100% 100% positive that they were being threatened or 
called out or, or whatever it was that were being harassed. Because Willie was a relative. But to say you're victimized is a whole other level of stupidity. Because 49 women. So obviously there's something mentally wrong with Willie. I'd say there's probably something going on with both of the other siblings as well, wouldn't you? Maybe not, obviously not to that extent. But she probably has some sort of, do you think, narcissistic behavior as well? Well, they kind of all do. Yeah. Um, so probably she, hers more because she was able to get out of the, mm-hmm. the lifestyle of the pig farmer. So I can see, obviously not sticking up for her, what the fuck ever, because that is fucked up. But I could see why she said that, because she, I believe, has narcissistic tendencies. They all do, it seems. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. But I just feel like, you know. Yeah. That's probably why she said it. And now, again, I, I want to point out, I do not think she had anything to do with anything that happened on that farm. Nothing at all. Because she really didn't have any contact with them other than the business dealings. That's yeah. it. I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It started off strong. Just plead guilty and this will all be over with. Sure. Okay. But <laughs> I don't know. It made me so mad. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And then Dave decides to continue being a fucking peach. So he knew from Willie that Scott Chubb had talked. Because, you know, during the interview, it was, let me show you this video of these people that you know personally that are talking against you. And Scott Chubb was one of them. So Dave tried to convince uh, reporters to help him find Scott Chubb. He's like, oh, well, I know that he's in this area because he's cashing his, uh, his welfare checks in this area. But where is he? So there was one in particular. She was a woman. And she later talks about how she believes that he had bugged her phone because anytime that she would make a phone call or she would hang up, there would be this clicking sound. And shortly after making that decision, like having that thought, her phone was mysteriously stolen. And then right after she replaced that mysteriously stolen phone, somebody called her and said, hey, I have your phone. These kids left it in my car. She chose not to go get it. She just left it where it was. Uh, yeah. Fuck yeah. You. And then Dave met with her at some point and was like, you're going to find Scott Chubb for me. And then talked about where she lived, talked about her children by name, where they went to school. After this, she took a whole fucking year off. She's like, I can't, I can't do this. She knew how dangerous they were. The police knew how dangerous he was, yet they did nothing. Yeah, he's still out and about, ain't he? Oh, yeah. So, anyway, so they they knew about these threats against this reporter. They knew about the threats against Scott Chubb, yet they still refused to put him in the witness protection program. Does Chubby die? No, he does not. Okay. He doesn't. He he survives, and he is, uh, cap- he is able to testify in both the preliminary and the actual trial. Good. So... Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's not before he, I, I, for some reason I put this further down, but, um, but he was walking home one day shortly after all of the shit went down, like after he, um, Willie got arrested. 
And he almost got hit by a fucking car. Who was driving the car? Don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they know, but they don't know. There's no proof, you know? <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> so he calls the his police buddies that were supposed to be, like, his liaisons. And he's like, hey, so this just happened. And they're like, well, you better get gone. So he packs up his his common-law wife, his girlfriend or whatever, and their small child and fucks in. Fucks in. Fucks in? Mm-hmm. It's a new word. Yeah. Uh, fucking leaves. They end up in a small town without any work or money from the the tip that he gave because he had just spent it literally. It talked about how he was on his way home and they had to leave their $500 worth of groceries on the counter and fucking booked it because they weren't about to like stick around and pack everything up and then leave. Yeah. They were fucking terrified. They took what they could in their short little grab and go, I guess. And they found a small little town. He ended up finding work. And, and it eventually worked out where the police helped him get into a... Him and his common-law wife and his child get into a, like, a townhouse or something. So, Good. there's that. But it takes them months. For the court proceedings, they put a publication ban on the trial. On the preliminary hearings. And that was so that at some point, when they got to the point of a trial, there wouldn't be so many biased people that would make it difficult to select a jury. Because if you have strong feelings either way, they're going to take you out of the jury pool. They're, they just are. That is, that's how it goes. So on December 6, 2002, Judge Stone, the one that was presiding over the preliminary hearings, he decided to continue the publication ban that way again fair right to trial is not jeopardized (laughs) (laughs) but they also were not going to stop the pub like it was it was going to be public for people to come like the families and the the reporters and everybody but they weren't allowed to publicize it if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. so the preliminary hearing began on January 13th, 2003, nearly an entire year after Picton was arrested. There was a shit ton of reporters and a shit ton of family members, but there was no one there to sit in the seats reserved for Picton's loved ones. Dave nor Linda were in the audience. Shocker. So they began the hearing by... And this is not in front of a trial, in front of a jury. This is just for the, the judge to decide whether it needs to go to trial. Is there enough proof? The answer to that is yes. The short answer is yes. But I'm going to go through the important bits of the, the preliminary. They started off with um, recordings of the conversations with Willie's cell plant, the interrogation, and the interview that he had with Dana Lilly's while at the job sites. The preliminary hearing took, I want to say, seven months alone. Just just the preliminary hearings. Because they brought every officer. <laughs> Was he in? Yes, he stayed in jail. Okay. He did not get out. And as I talked about before, the prosecution was meticulous in the way that they sent their evidence over to the defense team. Because they knew they weren't going to have a fuck up on their end. They were like, 
we have this. We're going to use it. Here you go. So when did Willie figure out that it was a planet sun? Oh, immediately. <laughs> okay. Good. Like, the, the cell plant was only in there, like, to the day. He was, re- he was released the morning after he made his confessions. Okay, good. So he didn't stay in there. I hope he knew. Like, oh, I just fucked up. Yeah. I, I hope so. Mm-hmm. But I he is too much of an asshat to, to think that way, I think. So... When I say there's a shit ton of evidence, I mean there's a shit ton of evidence. There was something like 30,000 pages of DNA material, 500 pages of expert witness material, and 60 binders of material. And that's not including all of the orders and the other things that needed to be filed by each side in order to have all this shit taken care of. Like, I can't, I can't imagine. That would be so much. Yeah. I bet you they all had nightmares, too. They probably did. So, to keep the publication ban intact, they took out some of, they like edited some of the recordings to take out some of the more sensationalized bits so that the reporters that were in the room, Mm -hmm. especially the ones that are from the U.S., essentially, (laughs) like, they were afraid of those U.S. attorney or those U.S. reporters uh, just blabbing their mouth because that's what we could fucking do here. Yeah. They were like, if we let this information out, there goes the fair trial. Like, we're just fucked. Though I'm feeling like medieval torture would probably suffice. I feel like that would be a good punishment. Yeah. Yeah. Especially that one where it's like a, a triangle and he sits on it and then, like pulled apart while being pushed down. Perfect. I was thinking about sitting on Lucille. Lucille? You know who Lucille is? Megan's favorite weapon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that, too. Sorry. I don't know why I wasn't thinking that. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) He used his own um, gun dildo on himself. Yeah. Torture. Just torture in general. I think that would have been sufficient. They may have taken the sensationalized bits out of, like, the interrogation and other things that that were done by the police. But everybody in that courtroom got to hear from Scott Chubb and Andy Bellwood. So they knew that this shit was going to get real, real quick. Once they started digging into the actual facts. Yeah. You want to get pissed off? No. We all know that all of these women, their family was scattered all through Canada. And some of those, some of them were really far away from Port Coquitlam than others. The bureaucracy at work with the police departments here. It's enough to make me want to just go throat punch some people. But, I digress. So they were allowed to have $3,000 to have, like, two people, just two, from, I'm thinking each victim, like, family members of each victim, so two family members per victim, um, but it also wasn't very clear. But the $3,000 would take care of travel, meals, room. This bitch lasted seven fucking months. That 3000 was gone, like, immediately. Yeah. 
I just, it, it drives me nuts. So they chose to have only two, vic- two family members of the victims. But each of these victims had multiple family members that loved them, that wanted to be there to make sure that justice was served. So they brought their their siblings, the, the, the victim siblings, the victim's daughters or, or children. Like, they tried to bring more people and they were like, I'm sorry, we can't give you any more meal vouchers. You get two. So they had to share. Until one of the like the family support services or something along those lines. They were the ones that dealt with the families of the victims. They had made arrangements with a church that was local so that they could get meals and room and board for more people. Yeah. But she had to, but this, this woman had to do it in a way that it was like, hey, you, church, why don't you approach my bosses about it? Because I can't say, hey, I know these people. Let's do this. How fucking stupid. It's really fucking stupid. <sighs> so anyway, a church stepped up, took yeah. care of all of that stuff for them. So I'm I'm very thankful for that because that's it's a hardship in all in itself to have to deal with seven months of fucking uh, preliminary hearings and then have to deal with that along with it. It's ridiculous. So at this point, in the process of hearings, I guess, um, he hadn't been charged with every set of DNA that they found. Right. He should have been. Mm-hmm. And he could have been convicted of them had they chose to do things properly. But, but they didn't warn the families of what their findings were. And these people were sitting in the fucking courtroom. (sighs) Cindy Felix's mother was sitting in the courtroom. And she was listening to this man talk about the DNA evidence. And honestly, it's just kind of like a bunch of mumbo jumbo and nobody really understands it. until, Until she heard her child's name. In a sentence where they were speaking about finding... Her child's DNA in ground meat in the freezer, and he had yet to be charged for her death. I can't imagine the anger and the frustration and just the, I don't even know. I don't know how all those parents didn't just want to pounce on him. Oh, I guarantee they did. Guarantee they wanted to. So she was distraught by this. She was she was angry. She later she ended up sending a letter to Jamie Graham berating the VPD for not giving the family members warnings of what's going to be talked about in court because that's a big deal. Yeah. They're supposed to sit there silently as they talk about the evidence that they find and how the fuck are you supposed to sit there silently when you realize that your child is one of them that had that was found in the fucking freezer. Oh, I would have busted out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, she's described as just in in complete shock. Oh yeah, definitely shock. She she didn't make a sound. She just sat there, and nothing else that was said that day registered at all. But she was just I, I uh, it just makes me angry. Yeah. They should have talked to them. Yeah. Because they knew the line of questioning that was coming. They knew. They knew the evidence they had. Maybe they could have said, hey, 
don't release this to the to the press. Don't say this to the press. The day of court, be like, hey, listen, just so you know, this is what's going to be released. I, <laughs> I'm so mad. I'm so mad. This whole ass thing just makes me angry. And when I tell you I cried halfway, like, toward the end of this, I was furious. And I don't cry because I'm sad half the time. <laughs> it's because I'm pissed. <sighs> so, anyway... These, the, the hearing is continuing. Um, so on April 7th, Lynn Ellingson was nervous as fuck, but she was put on the stand. She had been sober for about a year, and throughout the time that she testified, Willie's, Willie alternated between glaring and grinning and chuckling to himself. Fuck him. Oh, absolutely. Oh, did I, I didn't mention this, but he was behind a bulletproof glass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A little special motherfucker. The prosecution did a fantastic job in creating the narrative, in helping her get through her story in a way that stuck out to the judge. She saw this. Yes, she was on drugs. Like they they even dug into that. They were like, Yeah, he bought he bought cocaine or whatever right before I saw this and yes, I was high, but when I heard that scream I went to investigate. The, pro, the, the defense attorneys attempted so hard, so hard to bring her down, to make her look like an unreliable witness because of her substance abuse. They tried so hard to break her in general, being like, oh, well, you were a drug addict. You were a sex worker. You were a shit mom to your kids, right? You don't have them, right? It's like, you piece of shit. Again, anger. Oh, that attorney that went through all of that with her criminal history and her quote-unquote failure as a mother, his name was Richard Brooks, just so you know. I'm not going to say I like this woman in any way, shape, or form, but she did the damn thing on the witness stand. She fought back appropriately. Like, if you're a hostile witness, like, that's, that's going to show through, but, like, she didn't let them break her. She cried a shit ton. Her testimony took forever, but she didn't let them bully her into trying to say something else. The statements that she made to the police forever ago is what she was given now. And it made Richard Brooks look like the biggest dick there ever was. But they saw her as a survivor, a fighter. So it worked out in, in the prosecution's defense. So after Lynn, there was Andy! prosecution again led him through his interactions with uh, Willie the night that he describes what he likes to do with sex workers. Funny enough, super small world here, uh, after he leaves the farm, he ends up going to his family's house, or his mom's house or whatever, in a different part of Canada. Uh, <laughs> and somehow he eventually ends up working with a man named Paul Campbell, which happens to be Sandra Gale Ringwald's husband, or ex-husband, estranged husband? I don't think they ever got divorced. Anyway, small-ass world. He also stuck to his story and fought back at the probing, insane questions from the defense attorneys being like, oh, well, you're a drug addict. You're unreliable. He's like, nah, man. I didn't do those things. I'm just saying this is what I was told. After a few days of Andy's testimony... Sandra Gale Ringwald was put on the stand 
And the way that she was described in this, in the book, she was this tiny little adorable woman who, very personable, and she was just like, I'm here. <laughs> like, it, it described her like swinging her feet in the, in the chair. <laughs> and, and like, she was the first witness that actually like looked around and was paying attention to every, to all of her surroundings. But she was so fucking honest. Like, it, it described in the book, like, by the end of her testimony, everybody in that courtroom fucking loved her. Even the judge had a big-ass smile on his face as she was telling her stories because she was so fucking blunt. She was like, <laughs> like, honest to a fault. She she told the defense that she was in a methadone program and she took the, she took methadone once a day. And the last time she took it was the day before. And they were like, oh, so when's the last time you took heroin? Uh, that was probably Saturday. <laughs> I was like, well, that defeats the purpose of the methadone program. But, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna glide right past that. <laughs> and then she told them that she was able to afford the heroin because she was selling cocaine. <laughs> and then she told them, she went on. They tried to make her sound like the defense tried to make her sound super unreliable because of her drug use and her criminal history and all of that stuff, right? She was like, the last time she was in prison was in 1999 or 2000. At this point, it was like 2004, I think. Three or four. I don't remember. But she was in jail. Or she was in prison for stealing a police car and dangerous driving. This was the second time that she was caught stealing a police car. Previously, she had been caught breaking into, uh, what did she call it? She called it cigarette cars. You know, the, the, the vans or whatever that they, um, deliver cigarette packages to stores, like the boxes of cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. So she would break into those, steal those, uh, boxes of, of cigarettes, and then she would sell that shit. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it worked for her. <laughs> She even told them that while she was in prison the first time, not the second time, the first time for stealing a police car, she was able to get heroin while in prison. She even gave the defense, actually the entire courtroom, the whole fucking courtroom heard it, the recipe for a speedball. How she would shoot up, where she would shoot up, how it all went down, like, that is what she did. <laughs> and they tried so hard to discredit her because of her drug use. Willie's attorney thought that he had his in when she said she was paranoid sometimes and admitted that sometimes she did crazy things when she was paranoid. He's like, oh yeah, really? Tell me about that. Backfired so fucking hard. So she says that when she stole the police car, both times, by the way, not just one, but this specific time, when she, uh, when she stole the police car, she was running from, real, from Willie. Not the real Willie, but one that she had created in her mind. And, she, and he said, you thought Willie was chasing you, so you stole a police car to get away? She said, yeah, I'd do anything to get away. He asked more specific questions about the incident, and she said, and I quote, I was running out of the alley down the street yelling, help me, help me. And I guess I ran towards them, and they ignored me, so I just jumped in. So there were cops there searching somebody, and they ignored the fuck out of her screaming, help me, help me, as she's running out of a fucking alley. Mm-hmm jumps in the, the cop car, takes off, gets about a block before she runs into a fucking wall. When she comes to again because she passes the fuck out, she's in the hospital with a broken fucking ankle. 
So she did six months in prison for each time she stole a police car. And I know this isn't funny. I know it's not. But, like, you would think somebody would be like, why does she keep stealing cop cars? (laughs) I'd be like, that's an issue. So by the time they got to the 1997 assault with Willie, everybody in the courtroom was laughing at the way she was speaking. Like, they fell in love with her. And she was able to hold it together while talking about the assault until she got to the point where he put the handcuffs on her arm. Everybody loved her. And she's just this cute little, like, woman. She was in her 30s or something like that at this point, and she's just kicking her legs. (laughs) She's been through some shit. She's been through a lot of shit. (laughs) So after Sandra, Gina Houston was called to the stand to testify. When she saw Willie... And she gets up on the stand, and she she looks at him, she smiles, and she just waves. Who? Fuck her. Oh, absolutely. It made me so mad. This douche magoo smiles and waves back. Ew. Mm-hmm. This snot crunch and tiny dick man deserve each other so fucking much. I just, I need to get that out. So, they got her talking about her relationship with him. She was adamant they didn't have, a like, a sexual relationship or whatever, but he would give her money frequently. She would help him get women to come to the house. She talked about going to the rendering plant with him and how he had gone there so frequently that he would just drive through the gates and they would wave. He would back up. He'd dump the barrels into the vats. And then they would just leave. They didn't check anything that they brought. I hope that changed afterwards. Yeah. Then, and this is what pissed Willie off. Well, in the courtroom, by the way. Uh, he went from smiling and being like, oh, she's here, to, you fucking bitch. She told the courtroom about how the time there was a time that he asked her to get rid of Lynn Ellingson permanently. She explained that Willie had bought her a station wagon, and, ex- and in exchange for the station wagon, he wanted her to get rid of, of Lynn. And I quote... He asked me to take her out partying and help her to OD. He would buy the dope. He wanted her off permanently because it could cost a lot for lawyers and he was worried about what people would think. Now, see, she didn't quite understand what Lynn had on him. He told her that while she was living there, she found papers from the 1997 assault with Sandra Gale. That's all she knew about it supposedly. She didn't do it, but, you know. And apparently he asked her to do the same thing to Lisa Yells. You know, his best friend. And I'm just sitting over here going, so maybe she did know more. Or maybe Gina's lying. Or maybe Gina's lying. Because she really didn't like Sandra, or she didn't like Lisa. Yeah, so. She really didn't like Lisa. She even told Lisa this. She's like, oh, Willie told me to kill you or whatever, and Lisa's like, whatever, because they had that kind of relationship. Yeah. It's like, you're just bullshitting because you don't like us having a relationship. It's stupid. (sighs) Then she goes on to say that the day before that he was arrested, they were on the phone and he said, and I quote from the book, there's only one way out of this for us, a rope, a train, or a truck. Which leads me to think that uh, she knows a little bit more than she's letting on. So then she testified that 
on November 23rd, 2001, she was on the phone with Willie. This happened to be the day that Mona, Mona Wilson disappeared. She was the last victim that was recorded. She said she heard a woman screaming in the background. And I don't know if anybody asked her further about this, but then she said, I asked him if that was Mona. So before I go any further, it struck me as odd that she would know that that was Mona unless she knew that Mona was with him that day. Oh, yeah. Gina knew a whole lot more. Oh, she absolutely did. And I don't know why they didn't, like, beat into her the way they should have. (laughs) Anyway, so his response to her asking if it was Mona, he's like, yeah. And he told me he did everything he could to stop them from hurting her. But he couldn't. And I asked him if the police were going to find anything, and he said yes. She asked where, and and he told her in the piggery. She, for some reason, asked what was next to Mona. And he said, there's two or three or four, maybe five. She later says that she thought this meant bodies. I asked him who, and he said three that weren't on the list. She was referring to the women's list, the missing women's list that I previously uh, posted. And then he told her that it was all her fault. This is what she said in, in court, in front of Willie, in front of everybody. Just He said it was my fault. But she denied having anything to do with these women's death. I wonder if they checked the phone records, too. <sighs> I don't know. I would because... hope they did. They had so much other evidence. Why not add a, a couple hundred extra dollars worth of uh, phone records? I feel like she was probably there. Oh, absolutely. on the phone. Yeah. So let's not forget. Let's not forget this not crutch. Again, thank you, True Crown B&B, for that word. But this snot crotch was a pimp, essentially. And she would supply women to Dave, to uh, Willie, to Pat Casanova, which was the other butcher that was that was frequently on the farm. Her, her testimony was so fucking disjointed. And anytime she would say something damning about Willie or against him, she would try to backtrack a little bit and start trying to point the blame to somebody else. Like to who? Uh, Dinah. The the one that he used after Gina to get women to come to the farm. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause here on the court proceedings and I'm gonna switch over to the actual search and stuff. By mid April, the searchers had taken a big chunk of the buildings and sheds off the property. Like they dismantled that shit. Like they took everything they could out of the houses that were evidence. And then they dismantled it. So by that time, there there was like a couple of buildings left. But you could see the massive divots they had they had drug they had dug to get to the like the twenty feet sections that they were digging into to see if they could find any bones or whatever. Like you could see everything they were doing at this point. There was there wasn't anything that was hindering the your uh, line of sight at that point. Yeah. So they're doing the damn thing still. Also around this time, well, I take that back, in July, the police decide that they are going to start searching in an area where the 1995 Jane Doe was found, and that was east of Ruskin Bridge. Unfortunately, after searching for like a month or so, they didn't find any evidence, nothing, but it was literally 
the shore <laughs> of a massive water. <laughs> There's no way that any evidence would survive that long unless he actually buried people there. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, so popping back over to the trial, they took a two-month hiatus. So between April and um, the last witness for the preliminary hearing for the prosecution was Pat Casanova himself, the other butcher. He was there essentially to talk about the process that Willie had to butcher the pigs. Because as we know at this point, he would use that same process on the women. But then he was also there to talk about the sex workers he interacted with on the farm. One of which was Angela Josberry. She went by Angel when she was working. He paid her $40 for sex. And he stated that Dinah Taylor had brought her to the farm and even argued with Andrea wanting a cut of the money that she was going to be making. He stated he never saw her leave the property. Then there was a couple of other women who would come to the farm and he would pay to have sex with. But the other two women he knew left because he interacted with them more and he interacted them interacted with them outside of the farm. So the preliminary hearing, like I said earlier, took seven full last months with a two-month break. <laughs> and the reason they decided to take this break was because there was so much evidence that they were that was still pouring in, they needed time to deal with it, I guess. Yeah. Um and the and again, the reason for the preliminary hearing is to decide whether there's enough evidence to move forward with an actual trial, and there was. Judge Stone determined that there was sufficient evidence to send the tiny dick man for trial. At this time, there were 15 counts of first-degree murder, and at the end of his very long statement about his decision, he named the other seven women waiting for justice and the evidence supporting as to why their name should be added to that list. First is Marnie Frey. Her jawbone and teeth were found on the property. Tiffany Drews talked about her in the first or second part, but anyway... There was a syringe found in the trailer with her DNA on it, so it proves that she was on that farm. Sarah DeVry, her DNA was found on lip lipstick, cosmetics, and a broken condom in her purse. The next three women, their DNA was found in the meat that was ground in the freezers. I'm so very uncomfortable at this point. That would be Cynthia Felix, Angela Jardine, or Jardine, and Diana Melnick. And then there was this, the Jane Doe. And the skull they found away from the farm matched the DNA that was found in a rib and some other bones that were in one of the, the bone pits. So, that was decided. Now is the time for both sides to prepare for the actual trial. They were still continuing to go through all the, all the evidence that they were still picking through that they had collected. By September 15th, 2003, the investigation had cost between 40 and $50 million, and it will continue to rise. <laughs> yeah. I think by the end of it, it was closer to like $70 million, and it was one of the highest investigations as far as financial goes in Canada history. So just after the preliminary hearing, like a day or two, I think, the police invited the, the family members of the victims to the Picton farm to watch the last building come down. 
And it was very cathartic for all of them. Because they knew that they had picked picked away at everything, every other building. And they finally, some of the family members were able to watch as the police destroyed the last building. And took it away in dump trucks. Good. So on September 13th, 2003, Don Adam and the Project Even, Project Even-Handed group held another family meeting. Another four-hour family meeting. Um, he explained that he couldn't promise that the charges would be brought against Willie on all of the cases, including the last seven that the judge had named, which I feel is absolute bullshit because they have, they have enough. They have enough. But anyway, he explained that it would take another year or so to process all of the evidence that they had collected, and he essentially said that they were most likely going to have to go to court with the strongest cases, meaning... There are currently 15 charges against him, and not all of them would go to go to trial. That's the part that upsets me. I mean, all of it upsets me, but that part really upsets me. Yes. I will say in the... I, I, kind, of, I kind of understand it to an extent. Because there are some that you just have DNA on, like lipstick, or um, a syringe was found with their DNA... But you didn't find any actual evidence of their blood splatter or bones or something like that. So it would be harder to say that they died there. Should he be charged with it? Should he be convicted of it? Absolutely. He killed all of these women. We all know this. But can it be proven? In a court. There would be reasonable doubt for some of them. Well, I like one victim... A vertebrae was found mm-hmm. there, and they did not charge yeah. him for that. And I will say, he admitted to 49. He was eventually, eventually, he will be charged with 26, and he will only be brought to trial for six. And I'll explain that in a little bit. <sighs> that judge makes zero sense to me. Not Judge Stone. Judge Stone was a badass. I will say. Judge Stone was only for the preliminary hearing to choose whether it goes to trial. Anyway, so, during the four-hour meeting, uh, the families were shown a video of a ceremony that the students that had worked on the, like, the conveyor belts and things, like, they, they worked their ass off for so fucking long, picking through literal shit and dirt to try to find something about their family members. But this, <laughs> this made me cry. I'm going to cry again. Um, when they were done with the last spot, the last 20-foot area that they had to dig, they had 61 women, or 61 of the students standing around the massive-ass hole with white flowers and a name card. They read out the names, and they dropped the, they put the, the flowers in the hole, and then they buried it. And that makes me so sad. <laughs> and so... In the book, it was like, there wasn't a dry eye in the whole ass meeting. Yeah. Families, police officers, nobody. Nobody had a dry eye. And I'm over here just, like, bawling. And I'm like, oh. Jude looked at me and he was like, what's wrong? I was like, nothing. <laughs> uh, it made them feel, I don't know, it, it, it brought the, the family members closer to the people who worked on site. And so... Yeah, I couldn't imagine not having something to bury, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And a and lot then, of these women don't. 
and then the corners, I fuck it up too. Speaking of, I don't dig into that as much as I thought I would. Um, so we can we can talk about that in a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> this, I hate this so much. So by November 18th, 2003, they had concluded their work on the farm. So they took all of their equipment, all of the tape and everything surrounding the area. They were like, we're done here. But they still had so much fucking work to do in the labs to try to connect the DNA with what they found. On December 16th, 2003, Willie was officially charged with the first degree murder of seven women. Or with, sorry, with the seven women that the judge had had called out at the end of his, at the end of the preliminary. So this brought the total charges up to 22 first degree murder charges. In January 2004, the police released a statement explaining they had found the DNA from nine more women and only six of them could be identified. So there are a total of three unidentified women that they found on the farm. The first of which is Yvonne Marie Bowen. Then there's Andrea Borhaven, Wendy Lynn Crawford, Dawn Cray, Carrie Koski, and Kara Ellis. Their DNA was found, but there wasn't a lot of it. Like it was on, a lot of it was on jewelry or other belongings that they had there. But there was one of them, I can't remember which one, had... Their DNA was found in a very, very tiny bone that they, was actually destroyed when they tried to find the DNA. So in March uh, 10th, 2004, Dr. Perry Kendall, British, uh, British Columbia's senior health officer, announced, this is quoting from the book, by the way, that meat from the farm could have been mixed with human flesh and sold to the public. As a result of information we received from the RCMP, we have reason to believe there is a strong poss possibility that some of the products from the Picton farm, and how much of the R RCMP don't know, may still be sitting in some people's freezers in the lower mainland. They were adamant that there were no commercial meat processors used, so it, it would be very unlikely that it was spread very wide, if that makes any sense. Yeah. That it was most likely... If anybody got it, was friends and family of the Pictons and people that were in and out. Though I don't think that's true. Because Lisa Yelds um, later says that she remembers her husband, who was a butcher or sold meat or some, something of the sort, um, he would get like 300 pounds of meat from Picton every month. And he sold to the whole community. Needless to say, that was fucking horrifying. Yeah. They tried to downplay the actual risks of any type of infections because a lot of these women were addicted to IV drugs. They were shooting up a lot and not always with clean needles. So a lot of them had, like I said, the alphabet soup of hepatitis. Some of them even had full-blown AIDS. And so they were like... But you're fine. That is awful. They they downplayed the risk of any sickness at all. And during the time that the, the attorneys were preparing for trial, it got pushed back like three different times. 
So instead of being in the fall of 2004 like it was originally planned, it was pushed off to the beginning of, of um, 2005, and then later on it was pushed off to like the middle of 2005. Because, again, there was a shit ton of evidence. In the book, and I, I don't know why it was just like, you know, throw this random thing in here, but in the book, um, it was like, sometime in March of 2004 or 2005, they just started monitoring Dave in general. Like, they were going to keep an eye on him. His daily activities. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, why did it take so long? My first question. Second of all, why did it? Why did they only do it for 12 days? Like, they, they randomly would check to see where he was or, or whatever, and they... They never really decided he wasn't part of it, but they didn't have any proof that he was. So they didn't arrest him. He didn't live there. He lived in his home. Right. But at the same time, he had full-ass access. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway, so at the beginning of March of 2005, a judge was chosen to preside over the actual trial. And that was... Joffrey Barrow, but on June 1st of 2005, it was announced that Judge Barrow had a scheduling conflict, so he could not preside over the trial. So they chose another one. His name was James Williams, and he is the one that actually goes on through the trial. But I'm going to, like, back up just a tad bit, because on May 25th, 2005, 12 new charges were brought against Willie. So this makes a total of 27 first-degree murder charges against one individual. And that was Kara Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Carrie Koski, Wendy Crawford, Deborah Lynn Jones, Marnie Frey, Tiffany Drew, Sarah DeVry, Cynthia Felix, Angela Jardine, Diana Melnick, and Jane Doe from 1995. So, Let's go back to the judge. So he decided that there were going to be three separate stages of, and it's typical, it's three separate stages of trial. The first one, uh, oh, and all of them were going to be public, though there would be still, there would still be a publication ban. Like the reporters and everybody couldn't uh, talk about it. Uh, but anyway, so... The first stage was to deal with uh, the applications and the uh, fucking motions and things like that from the defense team to force the prosecutors to give them all of the evidence that they have gotten, which is fine because they were already doing that, so that wasn't a big deal. (laughs) The next stage would be as a part that's called voir dire. This is a French word, and I probably butchered the shit out of that, but, you know, I am from Tennessee, so there we are. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so this this process here annoys the piss out of me. If I were a defense attorney, I would love it, but I'm not. So, again, here we are. This allows the defense to file all the fucking motions that they could possibly want to try to withhold evidence or um, documents or statements or previous criminal history of their client from the jury. So, here in the States, and I know things are a little bit different in each part of the world, 
But here in the States, if somebody is up for an attempted murder charge, the defense attorney could potentially be like, hey, I don't want their previous violent crimes that they were charged with because they were never convicted because they got off on some lower charge. I don't want that brought up. And the judge could agree with them. And then the third stage is the actual trial. So on January 30th, 2006, the second stage of the trial begins. There was a shit ton of back and forth because defense attorneys are going to do their job. So on March 2nd, 2016, Judge Williams quashed the first degree murder charge on Jane Doe, which means there's, there was 27, now there's 26 charges. Wait, in 2016? No, 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 sorry. <laughs> in 2006. Okay. Sorry. I was like, I'm so confused. Okay. No, you're good. I'll, I'll just rephrase that. <laughs> I'll just start again. Um, on March 2nd, 2006, Judge Williams decided to quash the first degree murder charge on Jane Doe, which means that he's just going to pluck that, that charge, just toss it out. Uh, so it yeah, went from already... it went from twenty six or twenty seven to twenty six murder charges. You already know I'm fucking pissed off about that. We all are, and if they're if the people listening are not, then they obviously haven't been listening. Because <laughs> that's bullshit. That person was still a person, even though we can't identify them. Absolutely. So I'll quote this from the book because I I don't know how else to explain this. But the book says, It was the fact that there was no identification of Jane Doe that led the judge to quash the charge. Although DNA found in her skull matched DNA found in the bones on the farm, although saw cuts on the skull match those of the others, it wasn't enough for the judge to leave her charge there. In August... Judge Williams decided to fuck around again. <laughs> the fucking defense argued that 26 counts of first-degree murder would be entirely too grueling for any one jury. And the prosecution argued against that, saying he is charged with these 26 women. We may not do anything. We may not be able to do anything about Jane Doe that you decided to fucking throw out, but they should hear about all of them. They should hear about every single woman that we have DNA evidence that they were on this farm. On August 9th, Judge Williams ruled that only six counts would go to trial and the other 20 would go for a second trial. Spoiler alert, that second trial never fucking happens. Fuck them. That is so... That's... So, he picked the six that deserve justice? Is that what... His explanation was that he made the decision in the quote-unquote interest of justice and called these six counts materially different and taking all 26 to trial would be needless. It wouldn't be needless for the families who deserve justice for their daughter. But here's the thing. Sister, mother... Sure. Maybe maybe take out the ones that you only have DNA evidence on, like, cosmetic things. Okay. Maybe. And that's maybe. But what bothers me is that in the 20 that were just put to the wayside, there were women 
who were found to have DNA in ground meat in the freezer. Yeah. He didn't put those on the, in the top ones. How are, how are those materially different than the others? I... Turning into wavy, wacky, inflatable arm man over here. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the, the six that he chose were Serena Abbotsway, Mona Wilson, Andrea Josberry, Brenda Wolf, Georgina Pappen, and Marnie Frey. All of the other women were set aside. Yeah, Stephanie Lyon is the one that I told you about earlier that her vertebrae was found mm-hmm. there. Oh, yeah, that's right. And what? Her vertebrae, her, like she can't live without her vertebrae. Uh-huh. And it's there. And she's not part of the charges that he had. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's such bullshit. After the trial and everything is said and done, they do recommend that there's another eight women added. But they never do. On December 12th, 2006, the jury was picked. And shortly after, there was another what-the-fuck move from Judge Williams. He decided that the jury would not hear any evidence, any evidence, about the 1997 assault against Sandra Gale Ringwald. Which means they couldn't hear about the officers. Or they couldn't hear from the officers. They couldn't hear from Sandra herself. They could hear nothing about it. Quoting from the book again because I have no words. Her experience with Picton didn't meet the requirements of similar fact evidence. Why? Because she wasn't dead. Her statements were of what the women who died... Would have said had they been, were they alive at this point? If they were able to get free, those would be their statements. And it makes them angry. And then later in the trial, after the jury hears about Jane Doe, the 1995 Jane Doe, he instructs them to forget it. To forget everything that they hear about this woman. I don't understand his reasoning behind any of this. But in all the families are present, correct? Um, bits and pieces of them are. Some of them couldn't be away for very long, but the trial lasted for a year, yeah, if not more. And so they it, they would pop in and out when they could, and then they would use whatever they could for the travel uh, vouchers and everything like that. But yeah, the the family members are are there. Whether that's mothers and fathers or children or nieces or nephews or whatever. Like, it, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. The actual trial officially began on January 22nd, 2007. 2007. He was arrested five years earlier in 2002. Just wanted to point that out. <laughs> At least he's been in jail for that long. Oh, I'm, I'm glad he has been, but yeah. still, like, I don't fucking understand. So, as usual, the prosecution comes out and they're like, this is what we got. So they discussed that, yes, we are focusing on these six women. However, the defendant admitted to killing at least 49 women. Then the defense gets up and they do their whole spiel about uh, how... 
The jury shouldn't be overwhelmed by the prosecution's tactics, and their client didn't participate in killing any of these women. And then they started with the prosecution witnesses. There was Don Adam, of course. At this point, he had retired. And he essentially was there to explain how they came to find evidence and the investigation and interrogation and all of that shit. Same for Bill Forty. Um, he spoke about the interrogation. And then the two men were so fucking cool on the stand. <laughs> they weren't rattled at all. They were just like, this is what we found. They, the defense could not poke holes in any of, any of their, their statements. Good. Nothing. Then there was RCMP Sergeant Tim Slay. And he told the jury about, about the severed heads and the feet and the hands that were found in the bucket and finding that they belonged to Serena Abbotsway and Andrea Josbury. He discussed uh, Brenda Wolf's jawbone and how they found that where Willie would feed his pigs. Then there was Constable Mike McDonald. He said that he ended up saying something along the lines of uh, Dave was still under investigation because of his possible involvement, which helped the defense just a little bit because they're like, he didn't work alone. <sighs> and then Lynn Ellingson. She recounted the events uh, of finding a woman being slaughtered by Willie. The defense tried to make it sound like the police were paying for her testimony, like paying for her rehab to keep her clean so she could testify. Her clothes for trial were bought by the police because she was like, I didn't have anything that was suitable. They went on to ask her if they bought her food and helped with housing and utilities and all of that stuff. And she's like, yeah. But it wasn't like a, it wasn't a big win for the, the defense because like she was essentially their star witness. Their, she was their only eyewitness. Yeah. So it's kind of like, eh, whatever. Scott Chubb, the defense did what they could to try to break him down. <laughs> but then Scott's like... Well, Mr. Ritchie, you can attack me and my character, but I'm not on trial for six counts of murder. And that pretty much ended his. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then there was Andrew Bellwood, and he recounted the conversation for everybody again. The defense tried to hack him down, but he fought back. But then also, he was a manager in the Edmonton area. And apparently there were some missing women in Edmonton and the police had questioned him. And his response to that was, I was so pissed off that I would be interrogated on the Edmonton missing, missing women. The only reason they questioned me is because they knew I was a witness in the Picton case. But that's weird. So there's that. They, they tried every way in the world to make these people sound like they were part of... Willie's shenanigans mm -hmm. and shenanigans is not the best word for that but that's essentially like he wasn't part of it no 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 no. he just helped dispose essentially then there was Gina Houston uh and this was in August of 2007 at this point she had been diagnosed with cancer for like six months or so and she was not doing so great she was wheelchair bound and she went through the conversation about Mona Wilson, you know, how she had heard her scream or whatever, and the other things that Willie had told her. But she also tried to point blame toward Dinah Taylor, though I don't think that went over very well. 
By the end of August, the prosecution had called 98 witnesses. From January to August. Yeah. That just seems... Can you imagine being part of a jury and trying to keep that shit straight? Yeah, there's no way. No, there's no way. 98 witnesses. 98. And not one of them was Sandra Ringwald. So the defense, it was their turn now. They called 31 witnesses. 31. That brings the total of witness. 129 witnesses were put on the stand. Jesus. But the defense chose the most ridiculous people to call. And the book only pointed out, like, the important ones, the ones that, like, were supposed to sway one way or another. Um, like, Bill Malone. I don't know if you remember, but he was the one that was, like, the spokesperson for the Pictons whenever Willie was first arrested. He tried to say that there was a steady stream of people in and out of Willie's trailer and on the farm, just constantly, just... So he was trying to plant the seed that anybody could have done this. Right? Well, then the prosecution got a hold of him, and they were like, but you spread disinformation about this case with the media and everybody. And his response was, and I quote, I did not feel that this investigation would be going in the right direction and nobody else would say anything. Uh, so then, to, like, probe at him just a little bit more, because that's what the prosecution should do in pro- uh, cross-examination, uh-huh. they asked if he was racist for his refusal to speak to the, uh, the officer with Indian heritage because he wouldn't take off his turban. He got pissed, but he didn't fucking deny it. Wow. <laughs> and then he was he was eventually forced to admit that Willie's trailer really wasn't as bustling as, as he tried to make it out to be. Because Willie's trailer was on the far end of the farm, essentially. Mm-hmm. He was in his own little area. And nobody really went out there because Willie was fucking weird. Everybody was that. Uh, the Piggy Palace. Everybody was at the Piggy Palace. It was October of, of 2007 that Judge Williams decided to tell the jury not to pay any attention to anything that was said about Jane Doe. And this was a huge blow to the prosecution because it, it proves that all of these people were, even though she was not one of the charges like they were, they were going for a conviction for at this moment, he was a monster. And it proved that. But don't, but don't pay attention to it. (sighs) So the next one for the defense, the next uh, witness for the defense was Sandy Hummony. If I'm not mistaken, this was Dave's ex-wife, the one that he had like two kids with. Uh, She was like 16 when she moved in. Mm-hmm. That one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was also the owner of, or the manager of one of the businesses that he owned. Because he bought out her family. I think he was, that was a dick move. But, you know, I can't prove anything. <laughs> anyway, she tried saying that he, that Willie was slow. And that he was not smart enough to commit these murders. But then by the time the prosecution got a hold of her, She admitted that he was capable of running his own businesses, keeping his own accounts, managing his own money, taking care of all of that shit. So that went right out the fucking window. Mm -hmm. 
Like, good job, guys. Then there was a blood splatter expert. His name was John Nordby or something like that. He was actually employed by the RCMP, and I, I'm irritated that he he did anything on the behalf of the defense, but I guess they had to find their people, and they found one. He testified that he did not believe that the big stain on the mattress in the motorhome was blood and the other blood bits that were found around the around the, the motorhome, like the little trailer, were not blood either. But you know how he came about this decision? He looked at 100, just 100, of the over 2,500 photographs given to him. And they were of poor quality. Oh, 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 oh. And he also looked at the reports that the officers, or at the, um, Willie's attorneys gave him that was turned over by the prosecution. And he determined that it was not blood. Exactly. I don't know how you would come about, again, what the fuck? (sighs) Then there was a psychologist, and I'm not going to try to say his name because I will absolutely 1000% butcher it and I'm just not even going to try. But his name was Larry. (laughs) He tried to say that Willie, again, was not smart enough to pull this off on his own. But then later, after cross-examination, uh said that Willie's IQ was average. So again, you sure about that? Yeah. (laughs) So Sandy's sister was the next that they talked about, and her name was Ingrid Feller or something like that. Her name was Ingrid. (laughs) I don't, the last names confuse me. Anyway, she admitted that she was not only friends with Willie, but also that she lied in her earlier testimony. Mm. Now let me explain. She had told the defense when they were doing their first, you know, walk me through your shit, right? <laughs> quote. Was that a quote? <laughs> Absolutely, 1,000%. <laughs> uh, she, she told the defense that she had never seen anything odd in Willie's trailer. However, she had in fact seen blood all over Willie's trailer right after Sandra Gale's attack. But wait, there's more. (sighs) When she originally answered, she was under the impression that she could give no evidence regarding Sandra Gale's attack. My problem with this is if I'm not mistaken, and I could very much be, I am not an attorney, if there is something brought up, even if there is that little ban of not talking about this specific thing. If it's brought up, it opens the door. Yeah. That's what happened in... I learned that from the Johnny Depp trial. Yeah. Because she brought up Kate Moss. (laughs) But the problem with this specific case Mm -hmm. is that once she lied, Mm -hmm. but then the judge goes on to say, and again, I am going to quote, please do not carry a grudge against Mr. Picton or his lawyers. It may be an issue that goes to her credit, talking about Ingrid, that she chose to answer the question as she did. I think it's established by the question and the answers that we just heard that she answered the questions in a way that was not truthful. But did not let her explain. Another what-the-fuck moment in the Willie Picton trial. So, you want to hear another what-the-fuck moment? 
cool. Because uh, I got it here. <laughs> <laughs> In, on October 11th, 2007, an emergency session was brought to court. This would have been a day off for the, the normal trial, but they were there pretty much all day because there was a woman that was on the jury that, like, even the even the reporters and stuff were like, she wasn't paying one bit of attention. Like, she didn't give two fucks. But not only that, her place of employment was a bar. Not a problem. However... After she was done with the with the court, she would go to the bar and she would talk, which you're not allowed to do, first of all. That is one big absolute no-no there. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, she was adamant that Willie was not guilty. Oh, my gosh. Now, the bar's co-owner also... Explained that she didn't like this woman and that she was an absolute psychopath. (laughs) When questioned by the judge, she apparently did not give a fuck. Like, she was just very... I didn't say those things. The prosecution obviously wanted her dismissed from the jury. Obviously. For obvious reason, she is absolutely biased. The defense did not want her taken off of the jury because... That's one person in their favor. You want to guess what Judge Williams did? Left her on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She stayed. His... Because the statements ba- made by those people who made the report about this woman were not under oath. I wonder where Judge Williams is from. Not Port Coquitlam. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was from a different area. But I wonder... But he was also a very new judge, judge mm-hmm. that had only presided for maybe a couple of years. Whereas the previous judge that they were going to use was a very well-established criminal court judge. So then the trial goes on. On November 19th, closing arguments begin. And you can imagine the defense being like, My client is not guilty of first-degree murder. Blah, 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 blah. But as the book points out, the Toronto Star's Rosie uh, D'Amano wrote, Among the rogues gallery of hookers, junkies, and grifters, drawn to Robert Picton's pig farm like moths to a flame, there lurked an assortment of potential killers. To hear the defense team tell it, putative maniacs were <laughs> putative maniacs were on the ground, any one of whom could have slain the six drug-addled prostitutes. Picton stands accused of murdering and dismembering. So essentially, he wasn't on his farm alone. There were so many fucking people around. They could have done it. That doesn't mean my client did it. It doesn't. Ignore the fact that it was my client's motor home that Mona Wilson's blood was in at least 50 different places. Ignore that. Ignore the fact that there was a metal hose that they used to beat her with. No, no, no. It wasn't my client. There were others. But they didn't name one single person. They just wanted to try to, to just sow that little seed of doubt. 
The, pro- uh, the prosecution went on to dismantle the defense, the, the defense's closing arguments, ending with, like, okay, so he was, they, they went point by point. Like, sure, there were people there. Okay, fine, whatever. But it wasn't the way the defense is trying to put it. It's an awful big coincidence that he's a butcher. He's just an unlucky man, if that's the case. Yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> the The personal effects of the women just happen to be in his house. Again, if he's an unlucky man, that's a very unfortunate coincidence. Mm-hmm. Then he went on to talk about how Willie's own statements about killing 49 women was put into evidence. And he went on to say, that's probably as unlucky a coincidence as you could possibly have. He said it himself. He killed 49 women. Right. Case closed, right? Mm-hmm. Fucking guilty. <sighs> On November 27th, 2007, uh, Judge Williams took three days to explain the instructions to the jury. And now, I've been on a jury trial, or I've been on, I've been on a jury, and let me tell you, this is the most boring part of any trial, because they literally read off a list of things from a piece of paper And it's like, if you find him guilty of first-degree murder, and then they list. If you feel doubt about any of these, then you move on to the next. Find him not guilty of first-degree, move on to the next. Second-degree, blah, 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 blah. And it goes on forever. I cannot imagine going through three days of this shit. Because he wouldn't have to only go over it for one count. He would have to do it for six. So, once he's done with that, everybody has to wait. Everybody has to wait for the jury to come to their decision and this is in December um and so at this point you can you can imagine the families are feeling a certain type of way very upset they're in a place that they don't feel comfortable in and they're having to deal with other people and it's and the judge didn't help by separating the the 26 women the 20 women from the from the six mm-hmm. so Lots of arguments ensued. But somewhere in the time that the jury was out, somebody put up a Christmas tree outside the courthouse and put 26 angels on it. And then it was like, well, shit, what are we arguing for? And so then there was a ceremony. And a very informal ceremony, but it started with the Native families. And they all got into this massive circle and they started fucking dancing. And... Then they started bringing other people in. Everybody was loved on. and Everybody was included. And they felt whole for a minute. And then and then they were told that the, the verdict was in. And it took about an hour for everybody to file in the courtrooms and the judge to get there and all the attorneys and everything working the way it's supposed to. The foreman stood up and he had tears in his eyes, streaking down his face, in fact, is how it was... Uh, shown in or how it was written about in the book and if you looked at the other jurors you could see that there were several others that had tears in their eyes and he said not guilty of first degree murder on all counts he was however found guilty on all six counts for second degree murder if you could see my face right now what the fuck okay so what what's the reasoning explain well, it's funny because the the book wanted to the book pointed out that the only one that really didn't have any emotion was the one that stayed on the jury when she should have been removed. 
She was the one hold out, I think. Everybody else believed that he should be convicted of first degree murder. However, because she was the she was the one hold out. They had to move it. So she agreed with second degree but she didn't agree with first degree? Because she didn't think he did it. Then why would she even agree to second degree then? Because there was like some wording. Oh, and I for I forgot to mention during their deliberation, there was a the jury had a question for the judge. And the jury's allowed to do this. Like, if they need clarification on some of their instructions, they can say, hey, can you please clarify this? It's not, a, it's not an unusual thing. However, the foreman asked, are we able to say yes if we infer the accused acted indirectly? There was absolute silence while the judge looked over the paperwork that he had, and then chaos ensued. He started yelling to the prosecution. He's like, crown, crown, how could you let this through? Everybody was pushed out of the, the courtroom for about two hours. They were brought back in, and <laughs> Judge Williams said, I have concluded I was not sufficiently precise. I was in error with respect to three paragraphs of your charge. I, I, for, I regret to misinform you. It was inadvertent. So... <laughs> I think there was a small, tiny little paragraph in there about how if they felt he did not act directly, they would have to say no to first degree. Does that make sense? So yeah. if he didn't if he didn't pull the trigger for the ones that had bullet holes, he would not be found guilty. So it's, it went on to say that uh, he had to rewrite uh, the specific in instructions on Serena Mona and Andrea to say if you find that Mr. Picton shot Miss Abbott's way or or otherwise an active participant in killing in her killing you should find that the crown has proven this element on the other hand if you have reasonable doubt that he was an active participant in the killing you must return a verdict of not guilty <sighs> then he went, goes on to say you may find Mr. Picton acted in concert with other persons, although you may not yet know who they are. It is sufficient if you are satisfied beyond reasonable doubt, having considered all the evidence that he actively participated in the killings of his victims. It is not yet sufficient that he was merely present or took a minor role. So if they felt that he was just there, not guilty. Listen, I know that he's in prison, so I was like, fuck yeah, he... He's found guilty. That is what I had in my mind going into this case. Yeah, me too. That is bullshit. So, like all big hearings like this, they have their press releases or press statements or whatever. Stan Lowe was a spokesperson, spokesperson for the Attorney General's office, and he said this. The evidence was the product of the exceptional investigation by the Missing Persons Task Force, as well as the Vancouver Police and the RCMP. One of the biggest jobs was dealing with forensic work and 1.2 million pages of documents. The working relationship between the task force and the team of prosecutors was good, and the gravity of the crimes was never lost on them. Mr. Picton murdered these women. That's what the jury has found. We still have we still have work left on this case. Our our focus will shift to the second trial. We're making preparations for a second date. 
That never happens. Mike Petrie, he was the main attorney on the prosecution side. So here it'd be like the DA Mm -hmm. or the ADA. He said after being asked about the difference between first and second degree murder conviction, he said it only determines the eligibility date for parole. A couple of days later, Don Adam held an informal, unauthorized press conference. He was retired at this point, so he had nothing to lose. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He said, full justice was not done. If there is a person here who doesn't know Picton planned these murders, then I'm on the wrong planet. Mm -hmm. That he walked away and we legally consider him innocent of that. That wasn't right. No, it's bullshit. Absolutely. I believe we let the jurors down. We took a year out of their lives and we didn't give them everything. What's going to happen when they learn everything? How are they going to feel? He told the reporters that there was no way Picton was too stupid to plan these murders. And he says, let's not be confused about his capabilities. He got every break in the world and people underestimated him. I was left sitting there looking into his eyes with a real sense of malignant evil. I had just the smallest sense he was playing with me and what it must have been like for those women when they were in his control. And it doesn't make me very happy. So later on, they do the victim impact statements and the whole sentencing hearing and all of that stuff. And I am so sorry. I'm going to make you cry. And (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to make it. (laughs) So the families were able to make their statements. Um, Georgina Pappin's sisters, Bonnie and Alana, said, I can't handle it. I wish I could have done so much more. I always thought of her as being tough, someone who could always take care of herself. They described Georgina as a loving mother, sister, and their mother's child. And they said, There is rage inside of me over never really knowing what happened to her. All we had were bone fragments. I will never forget the damage you've done to our family. Serena Abbotsway's foster brother said, Every day I try to only think of the fun-loving Serena that I knew. But then the unthinkable reality takes over. Mona Wilson's older sister, Lisa, A part of me is still out there searching for her. I hear her scream, screaming for life. Each day of sobriety is my promise to her. And then Marnie Frey's mother, Lynn, reads a statement that her, that Marnie's daughter wrote. She was a teenager at this time, by the way. She says, I'm here for my real mother. I don't have much to say, but Mr. Picton, why did you hurt my mother and those other women? When you took her from me, it was like ripping out my heart. Marnie, if you were here, I would have so many questions to ask you. Marnie, I miss you. Then the prosecution attorney, Mike Petrie, who was described as this, like, hard, hardened individual who could compartmentalize everything, he read the statement from Brenda Wolf's mother, Elaine, and she said, There is a pain in my heart that will not heal. If the teardrops I shed made a pathway to heaven, I would walk all the way and bring you home. Hold you in my arms again and never let you go. And so in the book, it was like, everybody was in tears, <laughs> including us. <laughs> I promise I end this on a good note. It's a very tiny good note, but it's a good note. 
After the statements, Judge Williams told Willie that he was going to prison for life with no right to parole for 25 years. Because he was convicted of second-degree murder, he could have potentially been out within after 25 years. So he said, and I quote, Nothing I say can adequately ex express how the community feels at these killings. He should have told him he was the tiniest dick of men, and he should be shot immediately. Yeah. But, you know, there's probably a reason I'm not a judge. <laughs> so, even though the, the court had concluded, by October of uh, 2009, they were still sorting through DNA and trying to match the DNA found to women that were missing. So by October of 2009, they had DNA matches for 32 women that were on the missing person missing persons list. And is that including bone fragments and stuff like that? Or mm -hmm. is that... So it was recommended at this time, it did not happen, but it was recommended at this time that six more charges be laid. Sharon Abraham, Stephanie Lane, Yvonne Bowen, Jackie Murdoch, Don Cray, and Nancy Clark be added. Did not happen. Should have. It was also officially decided decided that there would be not there would not be a second trial for the other women. Though it was very unclear as to whether it was because it cost too much money. I think that's what it was. <laughs> I think it was very much brought down to the amount of money it would take. But these women needed justice. Yeah, it's bullshit. There was an inquest done. And it was a private inquest, and although Sarah DeVry's sister, Maggie, pushed for a public inquest, they decided that that's not going to happen until after all the trials are said and done. But because Willie and the prosecution, really, have the opportunity to go to the Court of Appeals about the sentencing, saying that... The prosecution was like, the judge did a bunch of shady shit. If he fucking did. Um, and actually, there's like four, I think they said four judges on the Court of Appeals. Three of them agreed with the prosecution, but there was one that was like, no, he had his rights to do so. Which was odd, but that's beside the point. So his... There's always that one. There's always that one. Um, but then the d defense could also file their appeals, and that could last for fucking ever. Oh, so they tried to get the Vancouver Police Department to release their findings of, you know, their failure. They were like, no, no, no. We can't do that unless all of the, the court stuff is done. Which is never gonna happen because the Court of Appeals for fucking ever. But they did claim that they had findings that and recommendations for the Vancouver Police Department, and those were fulfilled. Okay, everything was taken care of. Pat you on the head a little bit and say, we're okay now. Now that this monster is off the street, we're for golden. <sighs> I told you I was going to end this on a happier note. Sandra, Sandra Gale Ringwald was still alive at the publication of this book uh, in 2011 and 
she had been able to maintain sobriety enough to petition the court to regain custody of her children. Oh, that's good. So she was able to be with her babies. Good. Yeah. I needed something happy to look forward to. <laughs> sucked so much. Yeah. Ah. So yeah, that's that's the ending that I have for you for part five of Oh Wee Willie Boy. Who's still fucking breathing. Who's still breathing. He is currently 72 years old in prison, and I hope he drops all the soap if... He's in the shower. We're not discussing this. We, we discussed this last time. We're just not. I hope that he stubs his toe every time he walks. Every time he takes a motherfucking step, he stubs a fucking toe. And it breaks it every time. <laughs> Enough force to break his toe every time. I'm not going to say what I want to happen to him. I mean, I would prefer medieval torture devices used on him every day, but keep him alive for the entirety of his prison sentence. Have you seen the device that um, men used to use on women who talk too much? No, what was that? Well, this was a full-ass T-Rex episode. I'm very glad that we are done with fucking Willie Pickton. I can't, I can't, like, this is, this is the part that I was, like, the, the whole not guilty thing was the part that pissed me off the most. Not to mention the other shit that <laughs> happened in the courtroom, but still, that. What the fuck is that? How does that work? That part goes in your mouth, and it's locked in the back. Oh, so you legit, it's a muzzle. Yeah, but it's like spikes. Spikes inside, so you could... Oh my god, fuck them. And that was in first recorded in Scotland in 1567. Of course it was. Why are these devices made specifically for women? Scotland inflicted the contraption, uh, mostly on female transgressors and women considered to be rude nags or common scolds. Of, yeah, women. That's the problem. It's called a gossip's bridle. It is a muzzle with spikes on the inside of your mouth for women who speak too much. Wow. Yeah, I saw that on TikTok. I was like, what the fuck? And then, of course, there's a whole bunch of men under there. Where can I get one? So funny. Fucking hilarious. Alright, so. So, that was definitely a full T-Rex episode. 1,000%. Um, Before we go into my funny bit to get us back neutral, we're going to talk about some podcasts that we love Mm -hmm. that you should listen to and follow. Yes. One of the first ones that we have found recently that we absolutely adore is The Nick of Crime. Oh my god, I fucking love them. In The Nick of Crime. In The Nick of Crime. They make me so happy. Courtney and Michelle. They were actually my first on my list, too. <laughs> they are so funny. They recently called us their Southern Twins, and yeah. I happen to agree. <laughs> yes. Um, I was listening to, not their last episode, but the episode before, and she was talking about editing. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, that is Sam. <laughs> it's true, though. I'm exceedingly neurotic. Uh... <laughs> she was like, what, cut here, fuck what, or something yes. like that? <laughs> I yes! <can't> <laughs> oh my gosh! I, I love them. And if 
eventually some type of uh, collaboration I I feel like should happen. Anyway, so the one I have after In the Nick of Crime is Coffee and Crime. She is from New Zealand and she has like the perfect podcast voice anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. But like she has such a fun sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, her um what what did she call it? Her her episode where she just said like dumbass criminals, you know? Oh yeah, what well, we would call dumbassery. Yes. I don't know what she called it, but it's it was fantastic. It was. It was so funny. And I don't know who it was that was doing the commentary with her, but I was dying. I don't I think it was just friend Oh, okay. Um, but he is a comedian. He plugged his yes. Uh, he plugged his uh, about shows after. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that's perfect. Yeah, we had to check that one out too. I for- completely forgot about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I love her though. Her voice makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And another one that, um, of course, I want to shout out that I listen to quite often is True Crime Banter. Mm-hmm. They recently shout us out too. But I love Christian and Riley. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You got another? I do. Um, actually, two. Okay. We had one that uh, recently shouted us out, too. Like, they talk about us frequently. Nocturnal Distractions. There's Kendra and April. April, yeah. Listen, I got really tickled when it was an April sewed. <laughs> Because she was like, I love old shit. <laughs> she was just so excited about it. I was like, I can't wait to listen. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. But they're fantastic. And they're, the little tangents they go on are are fun to listen to. <laughs> that's that's what I got. That's what you got? I think I got two more. Oh, well, yeah. Well, like okay. Dark Tales from the Road. But we, I was about to say Kayla. Do you do that one? Yeah. <laughs> so, Dark Tales from the Road. Miss Kayla. The most soothing voice there ever was in true crime. I know. We literally, and this is not saying anything bad, I can literally fall asleep to Kayla. Because of her soothing-ass voice. Yes. Not because she is boring. She no. has so much interest. Like, the topics oh, that she has are so interesting. The last episode that I listened to was Georgia Tam. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> that, and that's in Tennessee. And I knew about Georgia Tam, but mm-hmm. I didn't know all the fucking details. Yeah. That is a crazy fucking case. She dives deep, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did really good. Yeah. But yeah. Good. No, nothing bad, Kayla. You just, you put, you put me to sleep in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> you calm her down after having to listen to me talk about Willie Picton for five fucking episodes. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, that's all I got for my uh, podcast corner here. Oh, uh, we do have one more, actually. Oh, do you? So, World's True Crime, Brad and Denise, they've got um, an awesome podcast going, too. Mm-hmm. They are killing it. Yeah, they are. Like, no, seriously, it's insane. So, um, if you haven't listened to them yet, you should. Absolutely. And then, of course, go over to everybody's Instagram and Twitter and make sure you follow everybody. Who's the second one? Yes, because their Instagram is lit. lit. <laughs> <laughs> Kids are getting loud now. Yeah, they are. So if you hear my children, or our children actually, she has one of her kids here. I have three. 
Yeah, just just ignore that. They're not in here. They're downstairs. It just sounds like they're in here. <laughs> Sam. Yes. Have you ever wondered? Probably not. <laughs> Let's be honest. What the world's longest masturbation of man was? No, not even a little bit. Would you like me to tell you? Sure. How how long do you think it is actually? I don't know. Like an hour? That seems excessive. It's probably more than that. <laughs> it's ten hours. What the fuck? The world's longest man masturbation is ten hours. Why? What is the purpose of that? I feel like that's just... But listen. You get... <laughs> but listen. Chafing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to say his name. But he attended the 2009 World Masturbate-a-thon held by the Center of Sex and Culture in San Francisco. That's a thing? (laughs) What the fuck? Set the world record for the longest session (laughs) by jerking it for 9 hours and 58 minutes. What? He was from Chabam, by the way. I I don't understand. I feel like that would be, one, a lot of work. <laughs> and two, there has to be... the arm muscles? <laughs> Only on one arm, though. Uh, uh, can, you, can you tag in another arm? No, <laughs> Oh, my God. I didn't know that was a thing. Like, when did that start? I'm again using this awesome website, um, Audie, O-D-D-E. Again. Of course, because they're fucking just, amazing. It's so funny. Uh, okay, next one. Number two. How far do you think the world's... I don't even know how to word this. How far do you think you can shoot sperm? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. How, how far, Paige? How far can someone so, shoot Paige? How far can someone shoot sperm? So the world's biggest distance were a jet of semen. A jet? That's a thing? That's how, what they call it? Just, I guess. That's luge. Um, it's a plane! <laughs> it's 18 foot and 9 inches. <laughs> What? Which would be 579 centimeters. That also seems excessive. (laughs) This man that achieved this um, also holds the record for the greatest height and the greatest speed of ejaculation. Or muzzle velocity. (laughs) With 42.7 miles per hour. That's so excessive. You would like come up off of him. <laughs> Could you imagine? I don't think that that's how it works. With that much force, it'll be it like on a scary it... movie. Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> where he's like, you know, and then it just like squirts everywhere, and she like ends up on the other side of the room. Yeah, just all over her. Maybe, maybe eighteen foot. Again. That's like four of you. Excessive. Four of me. 
It is, actually. <laughs> I got, like, two inches on it. <laughs> it's like four of you. Holy shit. World's oldest sex worker. How old do you think she is? 85. You are super fucking close. <laughs> really? Yeah, 82. What? And she's nicknamed Grandma. I don't know how I would feel about somebody that specifically went to Grandma to fuck. <laughs> she went into business about 40 years ago after a man she had lived with for two decades died. She stays in business charging 10 or 20 times less than other sex workers. She is undercharging, first of all. Second of all, know your worth, girl. Absolutely. <laughs> right. I can't. No, 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 no. I'm not done yet. Okay. Like, <laughs> could you imagine being being 82 and having to work in sex work to pay bills? I think at this point she probably enjoys it. Do you think? Maybe. Like, she I mean, doesn't have to do worry about getting love. pregnant, so, like, there's that, yeah. but... Do what you love. Yeah. I mean, there's no... There, there's, like, no what? disrespect toward her. No. But what what's that saying? If you do what you love, you never work a day. Oh, my God. Letter Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> do what you love, and you never work a day in your life. <laughs> there you go. It's perfect. Okay. What do you think is the world's biggest orgy? Biggest? Mm-hmm. Like most people. In what capacity here? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. If you were in a gyna- gymnasium, mm-hmm. how many people do you think would be having sex in there? I would hope none. <laughs> <laughs> as many people as can fit. Alright, there's that too. I guess there's some Lots major orgies going on. Yeah. What, what, what would be a ballpark number? I don't know. 50. Yeah, you're way off. I, I know 102? No, I know there's zero to that 50. 500? Mm-hmm. 250 women, 250 men. Japan has successfully set a new world record, having 250 men, 250 women consent to have sex in the same place at the same time, completing the world's biggest orgy. What the fuck? <laughs> the orgy, well, this wasn't a gymnasium, but the orgy was held in a warehouse. Uh, With a professional camera crew. Of course they did, because they're going to get some money off that shit. Again, so excessive. They were all STD free, so that's good. Well, I'm glad they got tested. (laughs) (laughs) The entire event is is available for purchase on DVD, guys. They gotta make monies. I hope these people that are in it get money from it. Alright, last one. Okay. World's biggest gangbang. How many? Jesus Christ, is it bigger or smaller than the, the world's biggest orgy? Bigger. A thousand. Very close. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Lisa Sparks is a noted American pornographic actress. Mm-hmm. She had sex with 919 guys in a single day, setting a world record. Specifically, it occurred during Eroticon 2004 a Polish convention that celebrates exactly what its title suggests as part of the third annual World Gang Bang Championship. (laughs) This wasn't just some publicity stunt either. The coveted World Gang Bang record had changed hands back in 2002 and 2003, 
when the number reached was 646 and then 759, respectively. Holy fuck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Whole lot of fuck. <laughs> Whole lot of fuck. <laughs> you know, the, the title of this, this ending is excessive. <laughs> the title of this ending is, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. This is true. <laughs> Wise words from Letterkenny. Um, if you know, you know. Could you imagine getting railed by nine, 919 men? And no, like, what did she do? Just, like, set herself up on a... With her legs spread out. Sex swing? <laughs> a sex swing, and they just, like, bang! <laughs> just, like... <laughs> bang, bang, bang. Bang, 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 bang. Ooh, 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 ooh. Oh, gosh. Or... or... <laughs> It did, it did not say if any of them was STD free. So hopefully, hopefully they were. What's that saying? You're about as fun as crabs at a gangbang. That's what it is. That's Perfect. Is. Totally yes. Like yeah. That would it. that would be the saying. Um. No. I, I am such a terrible imagination. Like you tell me something and then I create a way of making it happen in my brain. I know. Sounds Damn. fucking terrible. So. Here's like a conveyor belt? Well, there's there's that. <laughs> Just have our ass sitting out. But then I was thinking of like, oh, what the fuck are they called? At the fair with the horses that go around. Carousel. Yeah, carousel. Like, I was thinking of a carousel and like, because it kind of goes slow, so you have a minute. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Just like set up to the end of it, like scooch your ass, scooch your ass, back that ass up, and then they just—I mean, shit. Do you get bathroom breaks? Hopefully. Ooh. I don't know. Some guys might like that. Ew. Piss on me. Golden showers. Mm-hmm. You Ex- have to have a lot of protein shakes. Yeah. No, but going back to the guy that that uh, masturbated for like ten, 10 hours. hours. I feel like that would be so very difficult. It said that he was aided. In what way? Probably like squirt lotion. Squirt, squirt. Oh, you need more lotion? I mean, I would hope so. Otherwise, he'd be chafed as fuck. Some lotions, too. They don't work very well. That's true. I don't know. Yeah, so this this ending uh, was rather happy. (laughs) It's happy for some people. (laughs) Uh, no, see, now I'm more interested to see how many orgasms she happened to reach. Oh, probably fucking none. Probably none. <laughs> she probably went home later and was like, oh, got it. <laughs> her girlfriend probably got it for her. <laughs> it's probably what happened. I don't really know if she has a girlfriend, but... Yeah. Uh, one would assume. <laughs> <laughs> one more dick. <laughs> Like, she's done. She's fucking done. <laughs> yeah. So, if you've made it this far, uh, thanks for sticking around for my five parts of Willie Picton's fuckery. Also, I'm sorry. I definitely am. But I'm not the one who committed these uh, horrendous crimes. Nor am I the Vancouver Police Department. <laughs> Nor are you the 
bitch on the jury. Or that! Damn it. Like, I just... <laughs> we're getting ourselves heated up again. Yeah, Last okay, time. so we're gonna bring, bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. <sighs> so I'm just, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, though. Um, this was a hard series to listen to, and um, I promise I will not do a massive multi-parter like this for at least another year. Yes, thank you. Maybe we'll do an annual multi-parter insanity and then Paige will hate me and uh, <laughs> just don't leave me. <laughs> Never. But yeah, um, if y'all could also just hop on over to whatever platform you use and write us, leave nice things. Yes, please. That is is Apple the only one that lets you leave a comment? I think so. Yeah, but you can. Good write, Pods does too. Yeah, Good Pods you can. Um, you can write on Spotify. Spotify. I think you can write on iHeart. Yeah, so if you can, just go. You know, five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Uh, and I'm going to compile a list with the help of Paige of those who have left reviews, and we will continue to shout those out as we go. I know we've talked about a few, but... Yeah. Also, go to our Insta, Facebook, and Twitter. Twitter! You can contact us there or email. Yes, which is m3truecrimepod at gmail.com. Oh, good job, Sam. Yeah. How you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the link tree will be in the show notes below, and that will get you literally everything that we're on. Anything else? I don't think so. Okay, okay bye. bye.